What does it cost to follow Christ? That's our question today. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Christian Holiness Daily. Stay tuned. Holiness is perhaps the most misunderstood concept in Christianity. Anyone who has striven to follow the life of Christ will tell you that it is impossible. No one can match His love, no one can match His grace, and no one can match the compassion of Christ. For no one but Jesus is perfect and holy. Once the believer is filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, though, he or she is filled to the brim with the love of Christ and desires nothing more than to please God and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The love of sin is then gone, and in its place is a love and compassion for others. That is Christian holiness. And this is Christian Holiness Daily. So what does it cost to follow Christ? Well, for so long, the Protestant church in the West has taught how easy it is to believe in the name of Jesus that it's nearly sacrilege to speak about the cost of following Jesus. We teach the ABCs of salvation. Ask Jesus into your heart, believe in the name of Jesus, and confess your sins. ABC. Then you'll be saved. There's no mention, though, of repentance. There is no teaching that we should take up our cross. There's no mention of the price of salvation. Yet salvation does have a price. Of course, we know that Jesus himself paid the price because nothing short of death, burial, and resurrection could pay the price for our sins, the sins of the entire world. Because nothing we could do could ever earn our way into heaven. Yet Christ speaks about another cost, Think of the story of the rich young ruler as it's found in the Synoptic Gospels. It's found, by the way, in Matthew 19, 16 through 30, Mark 10, 17 through 31, and Luke 18, 18 through 30. This rich young man asks Jesus what he must do to attain eternal life, and Jesus answered that he must keep all of the commandments. The young man answers, well, I've, I've done exactly that. Jesus then tells him, then sell everything you own and give the money to the poor and come and follow me. The young man considers the costs and then declines and goes away sad. Why did he decline? The Bible tells us that he declined because he was very wealthy and he counted the cost and decided it wasn't worth it. Why did Jesus answer this way? Wouldn't it have been easier just to say follow me and deal with the money issue later? Well, he didn't, though. He answered him that you have to sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. Well, many Bible commentaries tell us that Jesus was talking about two different things. On the one hand, he was talking about eternal life. And on the other hand, he was talking about the kingdom of God. I don't see it that way. But I'm not a Bible scholar either. But I don't think Christ trifles with one's soul. If the man had not understood that he was talking about two different things, I think Jesus would have ran him down, caught up with him, and explained. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Other Bible commentators tell us that the passage is just hyperbole, that Jesus really didn't expect the man to sell everything and give it to the poor to be worthy to follow him. He only needed, some claim, to stop loving his material goods more than he loves Jesus. 
He could have, in reality, they say, continued to possess his goods and followed Jesus anyways. <laughs> Others still tell us that we miss the entire point when Jesus tells us that it's impossible with man, but that all things are possible with God. And here we get closer to the truth. Now, we know that neither selling everything that we own, nor giving it to the poor, nor keeping the commandments perfectly, none of that is enough to get to heaven. Nor does Christ tell us that everyone must give everything to the poor. That's not a condition of salvation. But let's take a look at other passages that speak of the price of salvation. At one point, a scribe, and the scribe is a person who is a scholar dedicated to accurately copying every jot and tittle of scripture into another book. In other words, they were publishers. A scribe tells Jesus that he will follow him as his disciple. Great. I mean, why wouldn't Jesus think that's great? Here's a scholar, a man who knows the Bible better than anybody else. Welcome aboard. We'd love to have you on board. Well, that's not what he said. Jesus replies, foxes have holes. Even birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, do you really want to follow me? We don't even have a place to sleep. The Bible doesn't directly state, but it implies that this scribe, like the rich young ruler, left disappointed. Another follower asked to leave Jesus and go to his father's funeral. A reasonable request, wouldn't you say? Jesus answers him, let the dead bury the dead. That seems harsh, but Jesus never once said that it would be easy to follow him. And with that last sentence, I just lost half of my audience. Many of those who remain are saying, what about John 3.16? Well, let's take a look at John 3.16 in the larger context of the entire chapter. We have lived so long with the term born again that we fail to recognize its significance. Sure, Christ says that everyone who believes will be saved. But how many of those who follow the prescriptive ABCs of salvation really do believe? I fear not many, for few can live up to the expectations of the full context of that discourse found in John 3. Take a look at verses 19 through 21. Now this is in the context of the entire born-again discourse, just a few verses down. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Christ tells us that we must be born again, but he implies here, no, it's more than implication. He clearly states here that those who have been born again, who have come to the light, will do works that are good. You can't be born again and continue doing evil. You can't be born again and be unchanged. No one who meets the master face to face goes away unchanged. In Luke 9.23, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The cross is not a symbol of hardship, like I heard growing up in the church. 
A man I knew speaking of his life as a single father after his wife had abandoned him years ago always ended the discussion with these words, Well, that's just my cross to bear. Well, not at all. The cross is not a symbol of hardship. It is a symbol of death. When Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow him, he added a clause at the beginning. Deny yourselves. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If we are to be born again, we must also die to ourselves. Christ does not tolerate double-minded people. You should either be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. I have had preachers warn me about this message, the message of repentance. They tell me that were they me, they would be scared of turning away seekers from the altar because I'm preaching repentance. I preached at a church three Sundays ago, and I preached on repentance. And another preacher was in the congregation that morning, and he was scheduled to preach the following Sunday. Well, when he did preach that following Sunday, he looked me in the eye from the pulpit, and as part of his message, he said, "It's enough that people accept Jesus into their heart and come to and 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 uh, believe in Him and confess their sins. It's up to God to convict them to repent." He said, "I worry that preachers like him." are convincing many sinners that they are saved when they are not really saved, all because they say a solitary prayer but never really repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Their lives show no fruit of the Spirit. They continue to practice evil. What is the cost to follow Christ? Our very self. And we'll continue this discussion tomorrow on Christian Holiness Daily. Background music on today's podcast was by Dr. Turtle. The song is called Wherever I Lay My Hat, That's My Wife. Our opening theme song is called Dirty Mac and is by a group called BG Awaken. For more information about any of the music or background music on our podcast, visit our website, ChristianHolinessDaily.com. Thanks.